The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Look, if you've been watching the stock market over the past year, you've seen some, or the past week, really, you've seen some of the most unbelievable fluctuations uh, in stock prices, especially when it comes to the tech companies, uh, perhaps that you've ever seen. You had Facebook losing $250 billion in market cap, basically overnight. Amazon gaining $190 billion in market cap overnight. Step moving up 61% after hours after an impressive earnings result. Well, this is, of course, like totally crazy market movement, and it's really tough to figure out what's going on and what the implications are and the repercussions will be for the companies. And so to discuss it, we have a guest I am so excited to bring on. It's Josh Brown. He's the CEO of Ritholtz Wealth. He also wrote three books, How I Invest My Money, Clash of the Financial Pundits, Backstage Wall Street. You can find him on Twitter at downtown, downtown Josh Brown. And I always love watching him on CNBC. He's a fellow CNBC contributor. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Thanks for being here. I want to get into the more systemic stuff, um, you know, as we move on through the show. But why don't we just start with the one that really has me scratching my head? And I know you have a strong perspective on this, and so do I. So it'll be fun to get into it. And that's Meta. So last week, Meta lost daily active users in the U.S. for the first time, went down by a million a day. But it also gained 9% monthly active users. Its family of apps now is used by 3.59 billion people each month and actually beat on revenue and missed on profitability because it was spending on the next bet, which is uh, metaverse stuff, Oculus, VR, AR, um, and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it does, it, I understand how the, you know, market will react poorly to the fact that it is shrinking in North America, at least when it comes to daily active users. Uh, and didn't hit the profitability marks that it did. But it doesn't seem like a terrible miss to me. And maybe I'm crazy, but you go up 9% monthly active users, your revenue is up. Okay, your profitability took a hit because you're investing in the future. So why does the market then go ahead and take Facebook down by $250 billion, which I think, uh, you know, I've heard Scott Galloway talk about is the equivalent of like putting BMW, Mercedes, Twitter, and Pinterest and Snap together in terms of the amount of market cap that it lost. So there's a couple of things going on here. The first thing is there's the number and then there's the whisper number. Mm. And the whisper number is uh, away from the research reports that the sell side brokerage firms put out, like the real number that everybody in the back of their head is saying, Facebook better do this or else. Mm. And that is not unique to Facebook. That's just how the street is. So there's always the earnings number. That's the consensus expectation. And then there's the whisper. And sometimes the whisper is above. Sometimes it's below. It's absurd. Obviously, we live in a digital age. People are not even sitting at steakhouses whispering numbers to each other. But this is the, this is the culture. I, I can't control it. I can only uh, explain it and apologize for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing that you'll hear from Wall Street guys. The second Wait, thing is that- Pause on that, on that first yeah. thing. With the, so- Basically, we hear, and I've never heard about this before, we hear the estimates that analysts want 
the companies to hit. But what there's this underground, like what WhatsApp or Signal groups among uh, investors who are like, you know, Facebook is expecting. I don't think it's that this, formal. I don't really? think it's that formal. I so think- it's just this, like, what is it then? And is, it's just like, they think that they should actually do better than what the street is yeah. expecting. Do they set expectations low for the street so they can beat them? Yeah, exactly. They, it's called sandbagging the quarter. So they will, uh, they will give a range of guidance to uh, analysts during the previous quarter's conference call. There will be several, maybe, uh, See, this tends to matter more for small or mid-cap companies where there's like seven analysts covering it, and you can really influence where those consensus numbers go. In Facebook's case, you got 50-plus analysts on the sell side covering it, and then you have all these buy-side analysts that don't publish their research, but they've all got their own estimates that are internal at asset management firms, hedge funds. And the general idea is that there's the consensus number whatever it is. And then usually the whisper number is like a penny or two above and it's childish, but hmm. um, that's, that's how it's always been. But I think, I think what's more important in the case of Facebook is this concept. There's no such thing as good or bad on wall street. No, hmm. so it doesn't exist. It's not good or bad is not the thing. The thing is, was it better or worse than expectations? So Facebook's earnings were good. Like they're making a ton of money. And yeah, they spent a little bit more than people expected. And the growth rate that they're projecting was a little bit of a shock. Talking about 3 to 11% growth after people have grown accustomed to this company growing 25, 30% reliably. That definitely shocked everybody. So it's not that it was a bad quarter, it's that it was worse than expected. And so everybody then resets their expectations for the next go round. And mm-hmm. in today's day and age, we don't do that over the course of weeks. We do that in seconds because it's not humans and nobody is sentimental. It's software. So the huh. software, the software is doing the trading based on parameters programmed by humans. And these re-ratings, which is a, a fancy way of saying a big stock price fluctuation. These re-ratings happen in in seconds, not days, not weeks, not months the way they used to. And I think that can be shocking to casual observers of the stock market. They mm-hmm. can't believe a company like Facebook could be worth 20, uh, uh, 25% less from a Wednesday to a Thursday. It's like inexplicable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. that's how I felt watching it. And I pay attention to the stock market. But I mean, this is, again, why I thought having you on would be great because you can give us this window into what's actually happening. Well, so one but, of the – I, I would know. say like just this concept of value, valuation, mm-hmm. um, what what a company's worth, market cap, like mm. it's a it's a sandcastle. Nobody gets <laughs> – nobody – you don't get to keep it. The next wave comes in and could completely wipe out – the sandcastle, it's not like this thing that's chiseled in stone. So Facebook was worth a trillion dollars like 15 minutes ago, and now it's worth $600 billion. That $400 billion wasn't wiped out. You see, this is the thing you hear on TV all the time. Oh, Facebook had $400 billion of market cap wiped. No, it's not wiped out. It went, it went to Amazon. So it's somebody else's market cap now. The right. money still exists. It just doesn't belong to Facebook. So- Keep, take this with a grain of salt. Whenever you hear such and such company is worth blank, yeah, today it is, right? Mm-hmm. But they, it's not. They don't get to keep that forever. Maybe they'll be worth more, but just as quickly they could be worth a whole hell of a lot less because in the end, it's not really their money. 
It's their right. shareholders' money, and their shareholders could decide in a moment's notice that they want that money to be invested in something else. But it has real implications for the company inside. Oh, yes. Like, oh, yes. Especially when it comes to employee compensation. That market cap goes down. That stock price gets 25% shaved off. All of a sudden, those people that were counting on the money uh, you know, to um, make their decision of whether to stay or go, those equations change when the market cap loses. I think it's less shocking in Silicon Valley. I think people mm-hmm. that are Facebook employees, they've been on this roller coaster. They've seen the stock. Facebook, don't forget, Facebook got cut in half its first six weeks as a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. It IPO'd at 40. It was $18. Went down to 20, right, that yeah. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so peop- so I think it's less shocking for a technology company to suddenly shed 25% a day. It's more shocking if that happens at Procter and Gamble. It's right. more shocking to see that happen with, you know, a big insurance company stock or uh, you know, something that appears like the perception from within and without is that, you know, it's a blue chip company and it's stable and it never has big growth and it never has too little uh growth. It doesn't shock you. So with faith, it's not that surprising to see a gigantic tech stock go through a re-rating like this. Um, mm-hmm. It is the biggest ever in dollar terms. We've never had uh, a publicly traded company lose $240 billion in a day. It's just, it's a quarter of a trillion dollars. It's a lot of money. It's never happened. But Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, they've all had days where they were 180, 170 billion come. The thing is, all of those were in March of 2020, the right. onset of the pandemic. This is really remarkable because it's idiosyncratic to Facebook itself. It was not market driven. It happened to have taken place in the context of a very volatile uh, NASDAQ, but this was really Facebook specific in a way that you probably have to go back to Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, you know, to find a, a, a day percentage-wise, that was that bad for such a large company that had nothing to do with the overall market. Yeah. So why don't we then kind of hammer back on the point that we started with, which is why do you think it was so big? Because yes, it was definitely a, a you know resetting of expectations, but you know were the algorithms programmed to the point, or was the whisper uh, earnings level you know uh, missed so badly that it caused such a shock to the stock? I think the perception, look, this stock is owned by sovereign wealth funds. Uh-huh. This stock is owned all over the world in size. It's a huge part of almost every index fund, similar to Apple on a slightly smaller scale. Uh, it, it's, it finds itself in every growth fund. It finds itself in every tech fund. Um, interestingly enough, it's not even classified as a technology company by Standard & Poor's. It's actually in the communications oh, Communications, uh, right. It's with you know, it's with uh, Google and Netflix in the communications mm-hmm. basket. But either way, it's an important stock globally, uh, globally invested in. And the perception is that uh, this kid has his head up his ass. He's living in the metaverse. In the meanwhile, yeah. his competitors in the real world, in the three dimensional world that you and I actually inhabit, are eating away <laughs> at a lot of the things that we thought were were had moats around them. And mm-hmm. just just listen to the count of how many times TikTok was mentioned on the conference call. So I, I listen to these calls. Um, I use an app called Quarter. Earnings call. Yeah. yeah Q-A-R-T-R if your listeners are mm-hmm. looking for a way to really quickly. I skip right to the Q&A. 
Mm -hmm. I don't listen. And so that you could do that with a push of a button on the quarter app. So I try to listen to that 30 minute Q and a where like Goldman Sachs, all the analysts, they can ask their questions. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. It's look, here's the truth. They've never had a competitor in any vertical the size of TikTok. Mm -hmm. They have beaten the shit out of Snap and much companies that were much smaller than them in terms of reach, in terms of global reach, in terms of how many users. They never really have had to build a product to compete with something as large as TikTok. So they're hyper-focused on making Reels an advertising platform. The problem is Reels is not catching on at the speed that they would have liked. And it's not clear that it's effective for advertisers yet. And so they are fighting not as an incumbent in this particular case. They're fighting as like an upstart. And that I don't think that's something that Facebook has had to do mm-hmm. since 2008, right. like taking on MySpace, really. So that's an interesting dynamic. That is definitely in their heads. And you could tell by how often they tell you how much they respect TikTok and what a great job TikTok is doing. They hate TikTok's guts. They they would love nothing more than for uh, the U.S. to kick it out of the country, like what almost happened before the election. Exactly. The other, di- but the other dynamic is, and I said this on TV. This meta business is ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. They change. They changed. They changed the company's name to, I guess, like I guess, like set the table. Like this is our whole focus now is going to be the metaverse. This is the next big platform. It's the next big bet. That's great. But then you can't tell us in the next breath that you're not going to make a dollar on this for 15 years, which is the other thing there, which is insane. So I think there's a lot of confusion. And you know, people say, oh, what's in a name? A lot. It's Silicon Valley. The name is the name. It's, it's important. It tells people what they're invested in. So now you have people basically investing in something where they're, they're like switching their focus to an unprofitable business after having been known as one of the most profitable businesses in the world. And I think that represents a, an albatross now that makes it very difficult for people to get bullish again. Right. And so it's interesting because like in this conversation, like we've heard about this, um, you know, the whisper target for earnings and the algorithms that are trading. And I was about to say, hey, you know, so maybe it's just this like, uh, you know, system that was ready to get set off with the trigger and it got set off. And actually the fundamentals of the company aren't any different than they were the week before. However, some of the stuff that I'm hearing you say is that actually, you know, yeah. this is the TikTok point. I've been listening to this uh, earnings calls with Zuckerberg for years also, and I've never heard him talk about a competitor that way. So perhaps what we just saw with this great offloading and the earnings miss were the numbers finally catching up with the other things that people were seeing and confirming the fact that this company has shifted and become weaker uh, and and the market responded. Yeah, I think that's right, Alex. I think you nail it. And it's not that they're a weak company because let's face it, they are, st- they are still generating absolutely enormous revenue, enormous cash flow. And if any company has a shot to really build this next generation platform and bridge the gap between 2022 and 2030, when we're all walking around in a virtual saloon with digital cowboy hats we've bought from Gucci and (laughs) we're playing poker with each other, uh, seated at a table together. Like if anybody can really do that and make a holodeck, and make it profitable and put ads in there. 
it is going to be Facebook or Alphabet. It's probably nobody else uh, that has the guts to spend money this way. But while they're doing that, and I talk about bridging that gap, it's a very long gap to bridge if in the real world, you're under assault by right. all of these real world competitors. And I think that dynamic now is un, un, it, it's, it's, it's unequivocally true. And the stuff with Apple iOS is not mm. going away. So they're going to solve for it. They're going to have workarounds. They're going to try to play up to their advertisers that, all right, we can't track those old metrics, but look, we just created new metrics that might be even better. They're going to fight. They're going to do their best, but it's not going to go away. The fact that those ads will be less effective in Europe and then eventually North America, uh, it's, it's inescapable. And so I think that that's part of that re-rating and part of that rethinking. They just do not seem as dominant. Now, even worse, look at that in the context of what Alphabet just told us. Alphabet's advertising platforms are absolutely on fire. Mm-hmm. Whether we're talking about YouTube, which has just become this this absolute juggernaut, could be worth as much as Netflix someday, um, or we're talking about uh, search, which has never been better. Like Google does not seem to be struggling with these same iOS privacy issues that Facebook is. That could change, but so now let's say you're a fund manager and your job is to invest in social media or the internet. Like that's your you're a portfolio manager and that's like your universe. Of course, you would rather have money invested in Alphabet than Facebook, given that perception of, well, these guys have it figured out and these guys don't. Now along comes Amazon and Amazon for the first time ever breaks out their advertising numbers and they're sick. <laughs> Amazon's third party advertising platform is sick. And that's yet another competitor for investment dollars um, away from Facebook. So Facebook now has a lower valuation than both Alphabet and Amazon. You could say, okay, this is when value-oriented tech tech investors may step in, and that's true. Maybe that's what stabilizes the stock. Um, But the other way to look at that is, who the hell wants to invest in a tech value stock? Has that worked for IBM? Mm-hmm. Is that worked for Cisco? Is that work like a lot? You know, there's a lot of cheap tech stocks. Qualcomm, these are stocks that tend not to go anywhere for years or even decades on end. So I think when you're a tech company, growth is more important than anything else. And Facebook's got to somehow get back to finding that growth. And it's not going to be that easy. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that growth because it seems like growth has been a detriment, at least to some investors when they're pulling back right now in the stock market. So let's talk about that in the second half. And I also have a bone to pick with your um, point about the meta name. So um, folks, this is going to be fun after the break. Stick with us. We'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. 
And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Josh Brown, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management, also a regular contributor on CNBC. You can catch him on the Halftime Report and other great shows. Um, I always love watching Josh on on, on air and, and make sure to catch his clips on YouTube. Always a great perspective. And um, thank you in my spell, myself to be speaking with him right now. So thanks again for being here, Josh. Let's talk about the meta thing. Um, you've, you've been on air and, and here previously made an emphatic point that Facebook never should have changed its name to meta. I have a different perspective on that. I would my love thought, to hear it. My thought is that what we're seeing right now, especially with the TikTok stuff and with the recent earnings, is that Facebook's flagship business is hitting a ceiling. And in tech, when your flagship business hits a ceiling, the only thing to do is move on to what's going to be what you believe is the next computing platform. And so I do think that for Facebook right now, or meta as they call it, it's metaverse or bust. Just like Microsoft, when the desktop operating system in Windows was hitting a ceiling, they went to cloud. To me, it seems like going to meta, you know, whether it's going to work or not, if that's your vision of the future, you go all the way in. And so I don't have a big problem with the name change. What do you think about that? Well, we're, we're not talking about where the focus of the company should be. We're talking mm. about nomenclature. And you'll notice that Microsoft did not rename the company Azure, mm. which, I th- which I think may have gone fine had they done it, because by the time it became apparent that Azure was going to be the horse that they were going to be riding... And in fact, they plucked Satya Nadell uh, from from uh, from Server that unit mm-hmm. uh, to run the company. So, like when th- when it became apparent that that was what they were going to do, I think it would have been viewed as odd by investors, given how many other businesses are under the Microsoft umbrella. But they probably would have would have been okay um, because that was not a business unit that was wildly uh, early and loss making in the way that Meta is. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is we might have a disagreement about what you consider to be Facebook's flagship business. Cause I think it's Instagram mm-hmm. and had they done a name change to Instagram rather than meta, um, and then told the story about the role that Instagram will ultimately play in the metaverse, which I believe is going to be an important role that might've been a little bit more, uh, common sense and, and maybe a little bit easier to swallow. So I think I still feel they jumped the gun, but I do agree with you. They do need to figure out the next platform. Um, it's hard to imagine f- the Facebook uh, app itself ever growing again. Like I right. just, I feel like it could maybe maintain as more births and and new people turn eighteen and decide they want to be there. But I, I mean, I don't know any kids that are like, I can't wait to get on Facebook. So I, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard for me to picture that even stabilizing. I think it's. I think Instagram really is is where the growth is going to be while they they build up Meta, not Facebook. Two last questions about Facebook. Um, just kind of your your gut uh, on a few things. Uh, do you think Reels has a chance of, of challenging TikTok in a real way? And then, you know, gut check. Is the metaverse actually going to be a thing? Or do you think that it's just kind of like this hobby horse for gamers that will never expand beyond where it is? I think the let's do the last one first. I okay. think the meta. I think the metaverse is great because it's whatever you say it is. Uh, <laughs> mm. No, no, truly. Yeah. So I've I've an investment in Roblox. Mm-hmm. I happen to believe that that's the actual metaverse right now. It's closer to the metaverse than anything Facebook is doing. But Can like, you expand it's, on that. Yeah, I want to talk. Hit on it's that interactive. Point. It's mm-hmm. interactive. It's completely immersive. It's uh, young people spending a big chunk of their day there. And actually living their lives there. And, you know, I have a I have a a 13-year-old 
and he has conversations with his friends on on uh, on the game console. So yeah, they could FaceTime, but very often they'll go into Fortnite and just talk to each other. They might be talking about mm-hmm. school or what assignment somebody has, um, but they'll log into games to to talk. To me, that's metaversey. That's not like I have to wear a, a helmet and walk into walls like an idiot. That's like <laughs> I'm actually living this portion of my day and interacting with other people in a virtual uh, setting. Um, so you think about musicians doing concerts inside of Fortnite. You think about people building their own games and then earning money from the licensing fleet fees on a, on a platform like Roblox. That that's the metaverse. The I don't think the metaverse is logging in um, to to uh, you know via Quest or Oculus to have a business meeting. I I don't know anyone that's tra- that really wants that or is trying to do that. So look, there are going to be thousands of different things that are going to be big technologies, and if you want to, you could say, oh, this is the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no question that companies like Disney are thinking about movie formats that are immersive, where you actually walk onto the virtual set of a movie, maybe even become a character in it. Obviously, that's the kind of stuff that they've been doing for 50, 60 years, and they put you on a ride. They want you to feel like you're inside the movie. Why wouldn't they do that digitally? How could they not be great at that, right? So do we want to say that's metaverse, or do we just want to say that's entertainment? I don't know. If we want to say it's metaverse, then the metaverse really could be anything and everything. So I I don't know that we're going to ever, or at least not anytime soon, say that any one company has a shot to own the whole thing, including Facebook. It'd be very hard. Now, will they have a head start in technology? Maybe, because as we talked about, they have more money to invest than almost anybody else, right? Uh, At least for now they do. Uh, we'll we'll see how big the losses get, but at least right now they do. Um, Cash balance went up over the past quarter, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 we'll see. Look, if they lose another two hundred billion in market cap, the next time they report earnings, the the investments might have to stop. Mm-hmm. But it's it's premature. Maybe they'll maybe they'll get more of a leash than than we think. On the reels question, I'm probably not the right person to give you a good answer there. I don't dance. I don't uh, I don't do skits. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a TikTok. I'm a verified uh, TikToker. I've posted mm. about 12 videos and they're all terrible. Um, and I'm not doing anything personally on Reels. So I don't know if Reels is going to uh, overtake or even really compete with TikTok. Maybe uh, maybe I'll ask my daughter and get back to you. I yeah, you. definitely. If she, I'm going to try to write about it this week. So if she wants to be quoted about which one she's using, just let me know. Um, growth stocks. So you talked about it a little bit in, in the beginning and the first segment about how tech companies want to be growth stocks. And yeah. I think like the fact that the tech companies had uh, all this growth potential is a big part of why they achieved such amazing valuations during you know, the end of last year. Uh, you know, Apple going to three trillion, which is like crazy. It took what forty years to get to one trillion, eighteen months to get to two trillion, and then another year or so to get to three trillion. I mean, I might be fudging the numbers a bit, but that's directionally accurate. But now, with the fact that the Fed is about to raise rates, it seems like the market is a little being a little bit more careful about growth stocks. So, why are growth stocks? And I'm talking about like big tech stocks are obviously, you know, uh, first and foremost in that category. Why did why are they so vulnerable? Now, after being such a prized investment 
previously. The reason they're so vulnerable is because people are using a discount rate. They're, they're taking the net present value of a future stream of earnings, and they're discounting that back to today. So the idea is like, and Amazon is the classic example of this. You're buying Amazon in the late 90s, early 2000s. They tell you basically that there is absolutely uh, no interest in generating profit right now. Instead, they want to grow user base, revenue, market share. And then later, all of a sudden, once they've done that, they can pull a different lever, focus on profitability, and it'll be a gusher. And it's really audacious what they did, and it worked. And around 2015, if you look at a stock stock chart of Amazon, sometime around the second or third quarter of 2015, it became apparent that Amazon pulled it off. Hmm. And not only was it a high growth, but they had built enough scale that the profits were going to start to gush out of that thing like, like, uh, like they struck oil. And if you look at a stock price um, of Amazon uh, pre-2015 and post-2015, you see a really big difference in the way uh, we started to think about that, that premise. Let me build the platform first. Let me get the, the market share first, and then we'll focus on profitability. And all of a sudden, there was a sea change in investor attitude. It helps that interest rates were ex extremely low during that period of time. But there was a sea change of investor attitude where all of a sudden, the only thing people wanted to hear about was TAM, total addressable market. How big can your company get? Not how profitable can it be this year? How big can it get? And think about the logic behind that. Let's say money is free, which it basically became free. Okay. So capital is, is not the scarce resource anymore. What's the scarce resource? Companies that can dominate an entire TAM, an entire mm -hmm. total address. That's the thing that everybody wants to be invested in. Because once you dominate a TAM and you have the users, then you can you can focus on profitability. You can raise prices. You can introduce new products. You could do whatever you want. So Netflix, uh, the, the investors in Netflix caught that fever, right? Uh, Tesla, um, we saw that phenomenon play out like in a host of technology companies that were focusing instead on TAM and market share and growth and will deal with the profits later. And it worked. If you were an investor in any of those businesses, it worked. Um, so I think that sea change was made possible by ultra low interest rates because if you're borrowing money and you're only paying 3 or 4% on that money, you can afford to wait four years for a stream of earnings. If you're an investor, you're taking that money, you have a, a certain amount of coupon that you owe back on that, but it's not high. So you don't need profits today to, to pay the interest. You can, you can be cool, right? You could be patient. You could wait for those earnings far out into the future. Now, you look at a two-year treasury, it was 15 basis points a year ago. It's free, free money. Mm. That's now uh, 120 basis points. We've priced in four uh, Fed funds uh, quarter point rate hikes, right? So now a two-year treasury is yielding one in the quarter. That affects all of the rates for everything all over the economy. Everything takes a level step up, right? That's the basis of what money costs. 
not just in the United States, all over the world, right? Even the even even in Europe um, and in Asia, like it, it has this ripple effect. So now money costs something. It's not free. You got to pay the vig on the money now. You got to you got to pay the juice now. So now you're saying, well, shit, is there's <laughs> interest due? I don't know if I want to wait ten years for earnings. Hmm. I don't know if I want to give all of these venture uh, venture backed startups that just came public at these massive valuations, Lucid, and uh, you know all these um, all these electric vehicle companies and alternative energy companies and solar businesses. There, you know, when money was free, I could wait seven years for a stream of earnings. Now I have now I have to pay this 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 vig. I actually want profits today. So you see this next sea change where all of a sudden profits are in vogue and old school banks, oil, utilities, consumer staples, those stocks dominate the fourth quarter and so far the first quarter of 2022 because investors have changed their mind on what their their tastes are, what their priorities are. And this plays out every year, every decade for hundreds of years. That that sea change in investor predilection. Right now, they want steady cash flows, profitability, high quality balance sheets, current income, and as weights go up, they're going to be looking for companies that have the ability to raise prices and pass along those higher costs, and more importantly, increase their dividend in order to compete with the higher rates on bonds, which we know are going up now. So you're going to see, I think. A challenging year for companies where the premise is, don't mm. worry, we're going to grow the user base, we're going to invest a ton of money, and there'll be cash flows later. It's going to be very tough for those companies to find a receptive audience among the investor class. Um, and that's how rates affect valuations, uh, prices, and the trend for growth stocks. Right. So it seems like, I mean, those companies that you talk about, you know, let's have some uh, give us some patience and we'll have results later. Tough. Those Look are at biotech. Uh, mid mid yeah. cap biotechs have been cut in half since uh, since last fall. Why? All their drugs half as effective? No, of <laughs> course not. The premise of investing in biotech is we're going to spend millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions on drug development and discovery and R&D. There is no payoff, maybe for a decade the most successful blockbuster biotech drugs of all time took seven years, nine years, 12 years before even a dollar was coming in. Again, you can do that when money is free, harder to do when the cost of money is rising. And, and you see that all over, the, all over the markets right now. Josh Brown is with us. He's the CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management, also CNBC contributor and the author of How I Invest My Money, Clash of the Financial Pundits and Backstage Wall Street. I want to cover inflation and a little bit more about the market volatility. So uh, we have a few minutes left. We'll do it right after the break. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here. 
on the Big Technology Podcast with Josh Brown, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Uh, very engaging speaker on all topics finance. I'm sure you stuck with us up until this point. You understand that um, Josh just has a great way of explaining the way that the financial world works. And so now I'd like to talk men. about the truth about vaccines. We have time. <laughs> oh, Can we get uh, into yeah. any of that? Can uh, I talk I'm about actually, ivermectin, please? Um, you know, it's not just for horses. All right. You want to, you want to do that next time I come on? I'll I, save that. I, look, I think that a good cancellation strategy is something any <laughs> small media company needs. So, um, you know, we don't have to wait. Uh, you know, I got three boot, three shots kidding. and then got COVID. So I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm double I vaxxed. I get a booster so every I. week. I'll do, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. Just leave me alone. All right. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. What do you got? Uh, let's talk a little bit about, I actually have a follow-up question from our last segment about the fact that the market is moving away from longer term investments. Um, uh, so does, how does that reshape the economy? Because if these biotech companies aren't going to get, you know, the support from investors, then do they cut back on experiments? Do, do public tech companies become, you know, less invested in longer term projects and more interested in, in, uh, shorter term profits? I'm thinking about meta again, you know, does this, does it lead not necessarily in that case, but in other cases for them to be, you know, focus more short term. I know every CEO says they don't care about the stock price. But come on, of course sure. they do. Sure. Right. Uh, I said something to you before that's applicable here mm-hmm. where there's no such thing as good or bad, just better or worse than expectations. So I don't think this is necessarily all bad. And I'll explain to you why. The first thing is the SPAC boom is dead. You're not going to see another 300 IPOs come out. It's going to be much more difficult to go public. Why is that good? Well, we, of course, still want capital formation. We still want companies to go public. We still want founders to you know, have their dreams realized. But maybe it's not healthy for any company that feels like it to be able to raise money at the blink of an eye. Like Maybe mm-hmm. that's not the right kind of capitalism that leads to good results for everybody. Maybe it would be healthier if there were some constraints about raising money which forced you to actually build a real business, not just hand a flaming bag over to a bunch of idiot kids who are on Robinhood buying SPACs and have no idea that the average investment they make is going to get cut in half. Like maybe we we actually want to enforce a little bit of discipline, valuation discipline, business model discipline. Maybe it shouldn't be enough. Oh, look, I have a slide deck. I'm worth $80 million. Like maybe mm. that should end. I don't think that that's a healthy environment. That is the environment that we've lived through for most of the last two years. So I don't necessarily think it's negative for the investor class to be more focused on profits and cash flows. I think it's like a corrective um, kind of pendulum swinging back in the other direction. It could go too far. Mm -hmm. We don't want to close out the capital markets to everybody, but there are currently over 900 unicorns on earth. There are 900 companies worth a billion dollars or more that have yet to go public. The prior year, there were 500. So are we saying that there are twice as many great businesses from one year to the next? Probably not, right? There's Mm -hmm. probably probably the same amount of great businesses, just double the amount of businesses that are overvalued. That's got to cool off, I think, for, for everyone's own good, right? So- We've had this phenomenon of a lot of new investors join the market, a lot of investors who have never experienced the down cycle, a lot of investors who are buying things because it has a cool ticker 
or because the sportscaster they like is tweeting about it or because the ETF is, has, a, has a cool name. There's mm. a lot of that kind of um, non-economic investment activity that has gone on that I think needs to go away. And it's painful. And we're watching that process play out. And you have SPACs that you know, were $10. They announced the deal. They went to $30. Now they're back at $3. Like that, that hurts. That's ugly. Um, and we don't root for people to lose money. But sometimes that's what's necessary in order for a market to regain its sanity. And you might see that later this year in an area like crypto. You might see that mm. in the private market, in, in the venture market, in the angel market. There's going to be ripple effects from what goes on in the in the real stock market. There always are. So I think this is going to be a year, let's put it euphemistically uh, and say it'll be a year of digestion. We're going to digest <laughs> a lot of the new companies that have been formed, a lot of the new ideas that have been funded, some would say overfunded. And it might be a little indigestion in some cases. But again, I think it's healthy. Um, I don't think another three years straight of of um, maniac uh, pace activity is going to help anyone in the long run. So I'm trying to um, I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to test negative. I'm trying to you know I'm trying to like just explain to people it's not good or bad. Mm -hmm. There are good aspects even of a bear market. Right. Um, and what I just took the crypto question. Um, you said it could we could see it happen in crypto. Do you think Bitcoin has um, sort of hit the bottom of its slide, or does it have uh, further dude. room to go? <laughs> like, if you if you told me next week it'll be twenty five thousand, I would You'd believe be like, you. Okay, yeah. And it, then if you said volatile, next huh? if you said next week it'll mm -hmm. be a hundred thousand, I wouldn't argue. So what do you tell your clients then when it comes to investing in this stuff? I think the way to do that is to just be honest and say mm -hmm. none of this is trading on anything other than sentiment. There right. are no cash flows. There's no intrinsic value. A project could become the most popular thing overnight and become one of the top three cryptos, or it could go to zero. And if you're going to invest in this space, of course, you want to be educated. You don't want to just roll the dice and, and throw darts. There should be a framework. Should, you know, so we, have, we built an index approach for our clients mm. to uh, crypto. We built it with Wisdom Tree. Is eleven uh, different coins or tokens in in the index. Um, it's free floating. We're not in there making decisions each day. Should we buy more Ethereum? Should we sell Solana? It's it, the index is the index. Mm. The framework is how big is the project to start with? You know how many engineers are involved with it? Like, does it serve a real world purpose? Was it a token just invented to speculate? Did it start as a joke token? Like. You, you set these rules in advance, you build the index based on them, and then you're kind of at the mercy of what happens in crypto. And some of the tokens that you're invested in will fall out of that index because they lose relevance and some will double in, in market value and as a result, become larger in the index. So we're, we're big believers that markets are fairly efficient. They're not perfect. Um, mm -hmm. but ultimately the crowd will figure out what has value and what doesn't. And that's the way that we'll be invested. So we run that on the Gemini platform. It's not open to the public. It's only open to our clients. Um, but it's a good solution to, you know, to answer your question, what do you, how do you invest for people? My clients are not, um, laser eyed psychos. They're, <laughs> they're, they're yeah. successful people. They're real estate mm -hmm. developers. They're surgeons. They're, 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 they've won in life. They could afford 
to take a percent or two of their portfolio and have it invested in the crypto market. What they don't want to do is have a wallet hacked or um, have their money in a scam coin that where there's a rug pull. Not mm -hmm. that the money would change their lives or affect the way they live. It's just who wants to who wants to be treated like a fool. So that's right. the solution that we ended up coming up with. I'm very comfortable with it. I, I have my own money in it. Mm -hmm. And I think it keeps them from making much worse decisions. Uh, yeah. And it keeps my clients from reading white papers filled with bullshit. Like nobody has time for that, you know, in mm -hmm. among my client base. So I think we're solving that problem. We'll see. Yeah. Do you have time for one last question? Shoot. We talked about Facebook's big drop, um, the $250 billion drop. Um, we, we poked at Amazon, right, going up $190 billion. We talked a little bit about Snap, 62% increase after hours trading right after reported earnings. I've felt that I've never seen any, well, not even felt, I have never seen fluctuations like that before. I mean, they're both historic, the Facebook and the Amazon thing. Um, How old are you? It, it, I'm 34. Okay. So, I mean, maybe you can help me out, but is, is this, uh, is this something that we need to get used to in the more volatile market? And, um, it, you know, yeah, just tell us a little bit about like, well, this what, is what the real, this it. is what yeah. the market really is. Mm. I think you could make the case that things that used to take weeks or months now take hours and days because of software. So the pace of some of these moves is breathtaking. And a really great example of that is, is the coronavirus crash. We had the fastest bear market ever, down 35% in 16 days. But that was immediately followed by the fastest bull market ever. It was, it was, it was two weeks before we were up 20% plus off those lows. All of that took place within like a five-week time span between the middle of March 2020 and the middle of April. Hmm. That process in the 1960s might have taken two years. Because information didn't travel at the speed of travels. And you didn't have software programs doing the buying and selling of stocks. So we have like this overnight price discovery now on news that would have normally taken weeks or months to circulate. Think about it. So it, it's logical that this is the way the market now is. And it's logical um, to see that speed. Now, as far as the magnitude of the fluctuation, I got to tell you, this is really what the market is. And I say that I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm 44. So my formative experience was like my first 10 years in the, in, 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 uh, in the stock market, I saw the S&P 500 get cut in half twice. Hmm. And then my first 10 years were bookended by uh, 98, 99, 2000, that whole rock opera. Uh, the NASDAQ <laughs> ended up falling 85%. And then we had Enron, and then just as like we were like, oh my god, fucking nine eleven, hmm. like literally that all happened in eighteen months. So that's the first thing I ever saw was grown men weeping, and and eighty five percent of the Nasdaq uh, being wiped out. Like I, so none of this shit phases me anymore. I mean, two years ago we saw the price of oil go negative. Think about that. Right. Think about that. Negative. I'll pay you to take my oil. That's literally a thing that happened. So I would say like, yeah, the fluctuations, it's 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 noteworthy, but mm. <laughs> you know, stick around a while. You will see <laughs> you will see more. 
Um, and I only have the benefit of, of 10 extra years, you know, ahead of you. So now think about somebody who's 24, 10 mm -hmm. years younger than you and just started investing last year. Look at the circus they walked into, right? <laughs> Amazing. All the so memes. think about what's normal yeah. to that person. Mm -hmm. To them, the stock market is like crypto, right? So, you know, try, try not to, uh, try not to get shocked or be shocked, but don't stay shocked. Because it's only going to get more insane from here, is is my guess. Josh Brown, thank you so much for joining us. It's such Alex, a great so much uh, fun, uh, opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate yep. it. Thank you so Find much, Josh. On follow Twitter. me on TikTok. On TikTok, Listen, no, TikTok? the real thing. Can can you can we <laughs> tell people? I have yeah. a podcast that's called The mm -hmm. Compound and Friends, and we have a lot of fun on that show. My last guest was Tim Dillon, and oh, he nice. went crazy. He went crazy on on the podcast. He's the best. But uh, we come out every Friday morning. So that's that's the best place to hear more of of my uh, of my antics. Amazing. Well, we'll link it in the show notes. And Josh, thanks again. I hope you come back. This was super fun. Thanks, man. Be good. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Nick Watney, for doing the edit. Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. We will see you actually on Friday. Kara Swisher is coming on for a bonus episode ahead of Pivot MIA. Her event with Scott Galloway in Miami. So until then, take care. Appreciate you joining as always. Bye.